let's, who's ready to dive in? All right, let's pray and, uh, and then we'll go. It's going to be a good night. So Lord, we thank you that you're here. And I ask, God, that tonight you will speak to us in such a way that it disturbs us, God. You disturb us out of the routines of mediocrity that we drift into, uh, and sometimes in our own ignorance and in our lack of understanding, Lord. And I ask that you will speak so poignantly to our hearts, God, that you will resonate so deeply with us that it will change practically the way we pray, the way we live our lives, the way that we connect with you. So I thank you, God, for the power of your love. I thank you for what we were just praying. I ask that you continue and that you continue to ravish us tonight, not by might, not by power, by your spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, um, open them to Psalms 131. We'll be there in just a second. Uh, I'm gonna, so last week, we're still in this series, Divine Invitation, talking about prayer. Uh, tonight and three weeks further, at least. And uh, I talked kind of a call to prayer last week. Why do we pray? And this week, I'm going to switch gears some and talk about how do we pray. Uh, not coming to you as an expert, but I'm going to share uh, what he shared with me, and that's the best I got. Um, and it's going to be good, uh, and it's going to hopefully practically equip us to connect with God and address the real-life concerns that many of us have, the difficulties, the struggles uh, that are associated to this topic of prayer. Right? I think we agreed with the word last week, it is important, prayer is to be paramount, paramount. But how does that actually, what does that look like? How does we actually do it, right? Anybody have those questions? All right. I'm talking to you. So the goal of prayer is that we will pray anointed prayer. I want us to be a church that prays anointed prayers. And it's a, it's a misnomer to believe that all prayer is the same. Uh, that's just not true. Uh, there is people who have cultivated through a lifetime of connection to God a, 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 a capacity to pray, an anointing in prayer, and their prayers move mountains. Their prayers are powerful and effective. I think we can all pinpoint someone in our lives that we know, either close, distant, somehow, where we say, when that person prays, I know God's with them. I know God's answering them, right? Who, who knows a person like that in your life, right? And we want to all become that person in our lives. And so to become that person, we need to pray anointed prayers. And, and anointed prayer is when you are praying with God, right? You're, it's a, actually an act of co-laboring. You're not independent of him. You're not praying to him. You are connected with him and you are, your voices are one and there's agreement between you on earth and him in heaven. And there is just, it's, it's, you're praying with God. Amen? So that's what we want to go to. In the next four weeks, I'm going to talk about four components uh, of anointed prayer. And this is not a formula. This is not follow these steps. But these are simply probably the four biggest things that I have learned in really the last decade of really pursuing prayer. And when I say pursue it, I either do 100% or I do 0% of things. And I've gone after it for about a decade now. And these are the four things that I, at this point in my journey, probably another 10 years would be a different message. But for right now, you're going to get what I got. So uh, four components. The first one is resting prayer, receiving the love of God. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, the second is adoration, intimacy, 
the third is intercession. The fourth is praise. So that will be the next four weeks. But tonight, I'm going to talk about this topic of what you, people define this different ways. Meditation, I've heard soaking prayer, uh, resting prayer, centered prayer. I just like the word resting prayer uh, because I find some scriptural references that I resonate. So I'm going to call it resting prayer tonight. So prayer when it begins, the, the, the starting point of prayer, I believe, is resting, is learning to rest and receive the love of God, right? It is not our act. It's not what we say. It's not what we do. It's not, it's not anything to do with us. Prayer begins with him, with God. And I believe prayer begins when we receive the love of God, right? In the same way that a chef cannot cook something unless they have food, an artist cannot paint something unless they have colors. You cannot pray until you've received the presence and the love of God. All right, we literally have nothing to pray with until we've received his love. All right, so this is really important. And uh, obviously, because it would be a, a bum meal if the greatest chef in the world had no food to work with. Amen? In the same way, we, we cannot do it. We cannot pray anointed prayer until we have received the love of God. So prevenient grace, who's heard this term? A few of you. So it's a theological term. It's pretty important. Uh, and it's basically this doctrine, core doctrine of the church that teaches that, that salvation did not result because we pursued God. It resulted because we responded to his prevenient grace, to this, he preceded us. He pursued us, we responded, right? He knocked on the door, and we opened. Does that make sense? That's the doctrine of prevenient grace. This is really interesting about the doctrine of prevenient grace is we have no problem saying, yeah, I get it. I was, you know, I was like six when I accepted Jesus in my heart. He, he knocked on the door of my heart. My mom asked me if I wanted to respond. I felt the Holy Spirit. I said, yes, I gave my heart to Jesus. I have no problem. Yeah, that's prevenient grace. I, I got saved because God pursued me. But we often don't have any practical application for what does this look like in real life? Because I believe prevenient grace has huge implications on prayer. Because God doesn't just pursue us on the day we got saved. He pursues us. We respond. Start this relationship. And every single day after goes the same way. We love because he first loves us. The day we got saved, the day after, the day after, all the way to today and tomorrow and the next day, provenient grace. We have a God that is relentlessly pursuing us day after day after day after day. So the first step to connecting with him and living a life of anointed prayer is we have to receive it. We have to be positioned to let him lavish us with this manifold grace of God. Right? Provenient grace has huge uh, practical implications on prayer. So we've got to receive this love every single day of our lives. And when we come in to pray with God, first steps, receiving his love, receiving this grace, this provenient grace that's chasing us, it's pursuing us every single morning. His mercies are new. So what does receiving look like? Let's get practical here. Uh, let's, let's read this verse, Psalm 131. This is probably like my favorite uh, receiving verse in the Bible. This is David. O Lord, 
My heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I've composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. So a child, a weaned child, it's not a breastfeeding child, so they're not leaning against their mother to eat. They're simply there to be with their mother. What does a weaned child do? What are they doing? Nothing. 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 A weaned child's doing nothing. What does receiving look like? Externally, it looks like doing absolutely nothing. It's utter passivity. In the paradox of prayer, it begins by doing nothing. It's an upside-down kingdom. So to start, to begin praying in such a way that the earth shakes and moves and heaven responds to your prayers, it starts with doing nothing. Utter passivity. This is beautifully wasteful. It's extraordinarily wasteful. But we make a mistake if we say, that sounds lazy, that seems wasteful, but it's not easy. We think it's easy. It's not easy. It's actually extraordinarily difficult. Because internally, uh, this uh, posture is one of complete absorption with the person of Jesus. 100% you are absorbed with Jesus. So externally, you can look upon someone receiving from the Lord. It's complete laziness. It looks like nothing. You're passive. But internally, it's not easy because it's actually something that's been crafted and and it's it's a skill that is wrought through years and years and countless hours and decades of seeking the Lord. You develop this through discipline this ability to be completely 100% present and absorbed with Jesus. I got a quote for you by Jean Goyon. She's a beautiful book on prayer called Experiencing the Depths of Jesus Christ right here. I recommend it to anyone. These are her words. The main element of the soul is the will And the soul must will to become neutral and passive, waiting entirely upon God. Can you not see that this condition of utter passivity, this state of doing nothing and waiting upon God is actually the highest activity of the will? Listen to your soul as it says, I am willing with all the power of my being that the desire of God be accomplished within me. I am willing to be here ceasing from all my activity and all of my power so that God of fully possessing me. So what does receiving look like? Well, it looks a lot like laziness. For me, it looks like on my face, I usually get a pillow, I have a blanket on top of me, so I like to be comfortable, and I lay before God. And I do nothing. So externally, looks like nothing. Internally, it's this 
complete focus. It's this orientation of your whole being that I am willing myself into this state of passivity where I'm going to stay and remain focused upon one thing, Jesus. That's what receiving looks like. It looks like carving out time to waste it upon Jesus. You're not going to pray. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to quote scripture. You're not going to read the Bible. You're just going to focus on Jesus, to just rest like a weaned child with its mother, to simply be with Jesus for the sake of being with him. No agenda. Your agenda actually ruffles things up, actually gets you uh, all focused on these things. It's just coming to be with Jesus. So you can see how this is actually a discipline. Uh, this is the paradox of working. Work really hard. Or says strive to enter into the rest of God. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. Work really hard to do nothing. The working really hard, the, the work that is involved in the rest is the work of silencing your soul so that you can be present in a place to receive, a posture to receive from God. So Hebrews 4, we must strive diligently to enter the rest of God. Receiving his love, resting in God, takes place in solitude. Only place it takes place is in solitude. And solitude is the embracing of silence. Who likes silence? Who made silence your best friend, right? That's not the culture. That's something that we actually have to fight against. Culture wants to get us in a controlled frenzy. God wants us to live in solitude with him, not 24-7, but to have solitude carved out in our lives because it's the embracing of silence that we can begin to receive from God. And uh, the work, the work in entering the rest is embracing our silence because embracing our silence is actually a costly process. I'm going to read uh, a few uh, lines here from Brennan Manning. Uh, he says this, living in the awareness of our belovedness is the axis around which the Christian life revolves. Being the beloved is our identity, the core of our existence, right? So our belovedness, being loved, receiving the love of God is the axis upon which the Christian faith revolves. It's the core of our identity. The very essence of our existence is that we are loved by God, right? So this is important, right? And he continues, the indispensable condition for developing and maintaining the awareness of our belovedness is time alone with God. In solitude, we tune out the naysaying whispers of our worthlessness and seek down, sink down into the mystery of our true self. Right? So when we, we do the work of embracing our silence and learning to sit in it and bringing ourselves to a place of passivity before the Lord, simple childlike passivity, Right? We are refreshed and nourished because we receive this sense of his love. We are enlightened once again, day after day, that we're the beloved of God. And this is the central axis of the religion that we all profess to abide in. That God so loved the world that he sent his son. It doesn't make sense outside of love. We can't do anything. We love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. We can't love him until he 
first loves us. We can't love our neighbors until we love ourselves. Right? It all boils down to we are the beloved of God and we have to have a deep experiential understanding of that love. We have to know it like we know the ground that we're standing on. And the only place that that sense is nourished is in solitude, not with other people, not at church on Sundays, not even with your best friend, not even with your spouse. He's jealous for you. And it's in this place of silence where everything else is gone and I'm alone with the alone that I find who I am. This is not a one-time experience. This is a lifetime pursuit. But we receive in this place of solitude. I remember in November 2009 is when I first had an experience receiving the love of God in prayer. I began to wake. I was filled. just stirred my heart. It was one of those miracles where I just got ravished by his love. And I was filled with an intense desire to be with him in prayer. So I had classes at 8.30 every day. And I would wake up at 5 a.m. and I would walk up the hill of my campus to a small prayer chapel. And in that prayer chapel, there was a, it was cold because we're by the ocean. So you'd get the ocean breeze in the mornings. It'd be quite cold. But I'd walk up. I would get in and I would turn this little heater on. And it had a kind of a soft hum that was soothing. And I would lay. I just started laying. And this is honest confession. I was like, hey, I'm going to have those grandiose prayers. I'm going to like. I'm going to pray right now. Like, I'm, you know, and uh, I would be tired, and I'd fall, I'd fall asleep. I call it like a Jesus nap. Um, you know, or it was like that, kind of that weird half sleep, you know, where you're like, I'm, I'm praying. I'm trying to pray, but, like, how long have I been asleep, right? And, and the, the, it would be just so soothing in this place. And, honestly, the peace of God was overwhelming, and I would just sleep. And kind of in and out, in and out. And I'd do it three hours every day. And then I'd go eat breakfast, then I'd go to class. And I cannot tell you, like, something in me started changing. I didn't even know it at first. And I honestly was struggling. I felt guilty. I was like, you're being lazy. You're not even, like, really praying. Like, you're waking up and doing all this work, and then you're falling back asleep. Like, and, but there was something so gravitational. Something was so filling. There was this soothing. It was like... It was like the honey was like just drenched all over me. I'd get up and be like, man, what is this? Like this feels like too good to be true. And I fell in love again and again and again and again with Jesus. And it wasn't every day that I'd fall asleep. I started learning, you know, to stay awake and um, I started journaling. But there is so much. But what I longed for is I would usually spend the first hour just laying. And I'd never heard a sermon on resting in God. I'd never heard about, so I didn't even know any of these things. I was just, God just leading me, just discipling me in prayer. And I, I, I literally just became so enamored with what would happen. My, my, I love to just go. I can still picture it, laying in the same place, hearing that hum, just letting just this affection fill me before I did anything. And I became so enamored with it, I started, I'd go in the afternoons after class, and I would do the same thing. And honestly, I'd often fall asleep, because it's like three in the afternoon. Don't we all want to fall asleep? You know, and you're a college kid. I got nothing else to do, right? 
college kids. Just, you know, it's funny how they're always, I'm just so busy, da 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 I'm like, wait till you graduate, right? It's like, it just, just gets harder. It always cracks me up. I'm like, man, I never had more free time in my life when I was in college, and I thought I was so busy. Anyways, you know, and I'd spend the afternoons, and again, this presence would fill me, and I just began to love being in the house of God, and I, I just kind of I didn't have language for it, but I began resting in his presence, and it changed me. It, it deeply changed me. It softened my heart. It was so simple. I didn't have to work. I didn't have to strive. It wasn't like, oh, gosh, i got to set my alarm to get up. It was like, I can't wait to be there. Like, something happens to me. It's like I get filled by this, this love, and I'm like, I don't even know if like, I'm doing it right, but it feels good. Just being honest. That's what it was like. Right? And that was, you know, uh, 2009, so I guess nine years ago. Uh, but I want to speak to uh, the reality of real life, right? Which is that we've all, and probably in some measure, form, shape, size, time, whatever, commitment level, tried to prioritize prayer in our lives and had blocks. Who has had blocks in prayer? Like, Jordan, what you're saying is great. I've tried to be alone with the alone. I've tried to spend this time of solitude, and it's uh, just god-awful, miserable, Anybody? I saw that one finger. Yeah, like the honest people are confessing. Okay, this is uh, real life. Brennan Manning, in that quote I read, he talked about that when we are in our silence and solitude, we have to put down the naysaying whispers of our worthlessness. I believe that worthlessness, which is tied to shame, uh, is the root of all blocks that we experience in prayer. It's our own sense of worthlessness. It's shame that separates us from God. I heard, uh, I heard there's a, a preacher named uh, Steve Backlund. Some of you may have heard him before, and they shared this. I heard him years ago share this, and it really it hit me that... Uh, they, they quoted this uh, study that they did on people that had won the lottery, and they were trying to figure out why, because you know, why do they win the lottery and go back into poverty? Have you heard this phenomenon, how most people that win the lottery are, like, poor within five years, something like that? And they were, it was a secular psychological study trying to figure out, like, why, why are these people losing $60 million in five years? And the whole study boiled down, and the root of it was this. Uh, you'll only let yourself receive what you believe you're worth. So because they went from this place of um, poverty and then to extraordinary wealth, um, but the inside work wasn't done, they didn't believe that they were worth what they'd received, and so they self-sabotaged back down to a place where they were comfortable. Does this make sense? So when we're talking about prayer, and specifically when we're talking about resting prayer, um, being in a place of meditation, being in a space to connect with God and receive the unconditional radical love of the perfect Holy One, which is quite the gift, you can see why worthlessness gets in the way. Because if I only let myself receive what I think I'm worth, how can I receive the gift of his love, if I don't think I'm worth it. So the blocks in prayer, it's our shame, worthlessness, self-sabotaging the experience by creating noise. Right? And oftentimes, the disturbance, the, uh, you know, the noise and the frustrations that start coming when we attempt to be in prayer, um, we get frustrated and we kind of just retreat out and we recoil back like, eh, I tried. Spent a half hour, it was miserable. 
And what we fail to recognize is why God brings us into silence is because silence creates the capacity. It creates a space for what is inside of us already to actually come out and externalize. So the misery and the frustration and the wondering thoughts and the noise, it's what's in you. It's what's coming out. Like people go to the desert because the desert is a neutral space where there's nothing. And we will fill a neutral space with what's inside of us. So solitude is when we come to this neutral space and we get what's in us out of us so that we can actually start dealing with it. So I say this to say that the blocks that we experience in prayer are a vital part of the process. Nothing's going wrong. Nothing's going wrong. These are God's invitations for you to begin to engage with these blocks and create space uh, for this to get out and actually process it. You've got to fight for connection sometimes. You know, you'll fight for what you love. I remember I was um, probably second grade. I'm a sentimental type. I don't like change. So I cried my way home from school the last day of school. Just cried. Bald like a baby, came home, was in a bad mood, crying, ran up to my room, locked the door. And uh, my mom thought something bad happened because kids are usually like, woo, it's summer, you know, and I'm just weeping. <laughs> Second grade's over, right? And I remember my mom, she probably sat for an hour, I don't even know, knocking on that door. Will you open up the door? Tell me what's going on. Tell me what's going on. Jordan, Jordan, will you let me in? Jordan, will you let me in? Will you let me in? Will you let me in? And it wasn't just a one-time experience. My whole childhood, I have memories of being deeply pursued by my mother. And she won my heart because of it. It showed me I value you. I value you enough that when there's separation and when you're, when you're hiding, when I can't feel you, when I, I want to know. Right? And it's obviously a broken analogy. God's not a second grader that's scared, you know, and hiding in his room. But there are times he hides nonetheless. And he hides because he wants to see. Do you love me? Are you going to fight for connection? Are you going to sit in the disturbances that come out when you finally carve this space and, and the things and the, the thoughts and the images and the frustration? And then, you know, the enemy's throwing stuff in there, too. You're wasting time. You're lazy. This isn't productive. Dot, dot, dot. Right. There's all these things it's like, where's God? I felt like I came to be with you and I found me. <laughs> Are you going to fight for connection? Are you going to show him, I want to know you? I'm after you. And what does fighting for connection look like? I'm trying to be real practical tonight. Get your journal out and start processing what you're feeling. Sometimes we act like prayer is supposed to be this, like every other thing you say is supposed to be a scripture and this holy and thou art, you know, and sounds so beautiful. When I think prayer is just supposed to be vulnerable expression and being real with God. You know, so be real with them. I'm frustrated right now. I'm spending 45 minutes, Lord, and this feels like the biggest waste of time in my life. I'm actually kind of ticked off. I actually don't know if I really believe in prayer, God. I actually don't know if I think this is a good idea. I think this is wasteful right now. Ha! Huh. See what he does. 
See what happens. As you start being real with what's inside of you, writing it down, speaking it, processing it, not being nice cookie-cutter Christian saying what I think I'm supposed to say, but saying what's really there, whoa, you get a real God. When you're real with God, he'll be real with you. And you, you get the clutter out. All of a sudden, you're being down. Silence, and it's no longer restless and noisy. It's slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. It's like a basin of water. If you were to pour a pitcher into it, first it's... And that's our first, that's a lot of times, that's what prayer feels like. But if you fight long enough, you can begin to see your reflection. And you begin to find solitude. You begin to receive revelation of how loved you are. Because in every season of the soul, Every day, every moment, every circumstance, he's pursuing you with love. It's how our belovedness is nourished. So we've got to embrace the blocks in prayer. We've got to fight through them. Process, 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 process. I probably have... I don't even know how many journals. Just process and process and process. And this doesn't feel like it's very productive. And it doesn't feel like it. It's not supposed to feel like it. It's an upside down kingdom. You abide in me, you bear fruit. You're going to face the feelings of guilt. You're going to face the feelings that you're wasting time. You're going to waste. You're going to feel all of these things. And... uh, that's okay. You got to keep going. Uh, being honest, I'd say probably the biggest struggle I still face in my ministry today is that you're wasting time. Better things you could be doing. Church needs a new office. First service is full. People are uncomfortable. This happening. This crisis. That person needs time. Staff. Budget's got to get in. You're in giving statements to the church. Got to email that person. Ooh, forgot. Like, Whoa, 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 whoa. I get in there in prayer, and it's all these things. And then inside, oh, what about this? What about this place where you're afraid? Oh, you know, I think I'd rather just go preach. That's a lot more comfortable. Let me just go do a bunch of stuff. Let me get back into that controlled frenzy where it feels like my life's ordered. This week, there's one day I was struggling really bad, and it was three hours before I had any sense and I left, had to go do things, then came back, still, waters. Okay, okay, what's going on? Journal, 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 probably journaled 12 pages this week. Just journal, journal, what's going on? And finally, started getting some sense. Oh, that's what I'm feeling. That's what's going on. Then he began speaking, leading me to the scriptures, nourishing me. We all need to be nourished, and it's going to be a fight, but we will fight for what we love. And we have to fight to maintain solitude. Thank you. I just want to spend a moment talking about the fruitful consequences. 
uh, of, of doing this, of fighting for this. Uh, we, like I said, we don't come to prayer so that we can get things from God. But I want to bring a sense of inspiration to the fruitful consequences that come from fighting and, and, and working, doing the work of entering the rest. Because when we can cultivate this space where we can be alone with God, incredible things can happen. And that's because we begin to enter into a place of union. We begin to know that I'm the beloved and he's the one that loves me. And so we begin to receive in this place of union, we begin to receive wisdom and insight and knowledge and his heart. He begins speaking to us. We begin to just be one with him so that, uh, you know, and we're still talking about prayer here. So I've spent this time, I've connected with him. Now I'm a chef with food. Now I'm an, a, a musician with an instrument. Right? Now I'm an artist with a canvas and a brush and a big palette of colors. I've, I've now received God. I've received his heart. So now when I go to pray, I'm not like, what should I pray? Like, what do I want to pray? It's like, I'm full of what Jesus is praying because I'm connected. You see what I'm saying? So you start to pray. Your prayers begin to derive from God. I have a lot of confidence that if I'm praying something he's praying, it's going to happen. Amen? Right? Like uh, September, the Lord put on my heart heavy. Uh, I want you to begin asking that prodigals will come home. So I want you to begin declaring it. This is the prayer of my heart. And I knew it was the prayer of his heart. I began praying it with him. And it, it's been like every week at this service since at least one person comes to me. I have been far from God. I don't even know why I'm here. In tears. <laughs> but God, God's just doing something. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. Right? What gives prayer power is not our good intentions. It is not our passion. It is not our eloquence. It is not even biblical precedence. It is that I am praying what he is praying because we're doing it together. That's what makes him powerful. It's not I'm praying what's in his mouth. I'm praying what he's praying over Boise. I'm praying what he's praying over my kids. I'm praying what he's praying over my family. I'm praying what he's praying over anything. He's praying something. He lives to make intercession for us. And when we fight for connection, we're connected. We don't have to scour and search for good things to pray. They're in us. Inside out. Whoa. This is crazy. Momentum is evident upon a life that's immersed in God. All right, we talked about movement versus momentum. Momentum is evident in a life that's immersed in God. Why? Because what you pray and then what you do is what he's praying and what he's doing. And where did you receive that? Being alone with God. Right? I remember, I, you know, I went through these years in college, freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. I wasted time in prayer because, I, honestly, I had a lot of time. 
So it was not much of a sacrifice, just being completely honest. Uh, it was, it was desire-driven, and I wasn't having to say no to many things. Some things, but not many things to have the amount of time that I was carved out to be with him. I graduated about a four-month season and began in ministry pretty quickly after that. And I had about a four-month season where I was interning at a church. And I had no idea what to do, but I was like, well, I guess I'll just keep doing what I've been doing, right? Spending all this time with God. That's kind of why I'm here. And I just began spending a lot of time with God. And, you know, I, I had no idea what church life was like. So I saw all people having all these meetings and doing all these things, doing all these events. And I was just like, always like, man, I'm not doing anything. I'm just praying. Like, I uh, hope this works, hope this works. And honestly, it was dealing with a uh, lot of guilt the whole four months, a lot of guilt. Like, I think I'm cheating. I think I'm being lazy. That was my big, I think I'm lazy. Like, I really think I'm lazy, God. Am I lazy? Like, I just couldn't figure it out, but I, I couldn't go anywhere else. Like, I, I need you. Like, I, I have to be with you. This is all I know how to do. This is all you've taught me in, like, the last five years of my life. So I did it, did it, did it, did it. And uh, I was leaving uh, after the four months I was going overseas. And I walked into Starbucks, and there was another guy who's m my friend, and he was on staff at the same church. And uh, he was sitting there on his computer, and I walked in, and I was leaving the next day. And he was like, you know, Jordan, he said, I I've been thinking about something all day. I said, what? He said, I've been here for four years, and you've been here for four months. He said, and I told the Lord today that he did more through you in this church in four months than what I've done in four years. He said, and I watched you. You didn't do anything but pray. <laughs> He's like, so I got some things to think about. And when he said that, because he is one of the hardest working people I know, it was like that guilt broke off my life. And I was like, whoa. And all of a sudden I looked. It was like I had a permission to look at just the momentum that was flowing in everything I did, which wasn't a lot. But it was like, whoa. Whoa. Right? And still to this day, I have people ask me, how's Riverhouse doing this? I was like, I don't know. All I do is pray. <laughs> the same, same friend I was talking to him a couple weeks ago, and he was like, man, dude, it's just crazy. Da, 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 all that God's doing. Yada, yada. I said, yeah, I, I, I just do the same thing. I just spend a bunch of time with God and do what comes to my mind. And listen, you know, and pray. And he's like, and he's looked at me. He's like, I know you're telling the truth. And I was like, I know, I am. I don't have a secret. I fight for who I love, because he loved me so well. And momentum is then evidenced upon our lives. It's the paradox of prayer. Stillness and solitude are the uh, the key to a life of unstoppable momentum. How does that work? I don't know. But it's what the Bible says. It's, it's how his kingdom works. Stillness, solitude, silence. Fighting for this. Paramount. Receiving his love leads to unstoppable momentum. Because one day with God is far more fruitful than 80 years without him. Your striving is pitiful. He spoke and created the earth. So if he has you spend whatever amount of time, whatever it looks like, 
in prayer, wasting time with him, all it takes is one word. And you're launched behind all the people that were striving, 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 striving. It's like, I'm going to run this race, run this race. I had this vision I feel like I'm supposed to share. Uh, years ago, uh, it was a, a mentor of mine who's a CEO, very successful. And he was, uh, everyone on this, it was the race of life. And it followed the outline of this big chasm. And it went miles and miles and miles and miles and miles that way. And then it slowly came all the way back miles and miles and miles and miles. And the finish line was there. And it was a chasm here. And everyone had these big wings that were like, 12 feet long, but didn't know how to use them. So the successful people had put their wings like this to be aerodynamic and were running. And that was how they could run faster. And I was watching. I was like, they're all striving. Like, they're all striving. And then the Lord was saying, Jordan, come over here. And there was just like this kind of dirt patch. And, and I was in the dream, like, I was trying to, like, make these things work. And I just kept falling. And I was, like, rolling in the dirt. And I was like, I can't use them. And I was watching all the people. They were getting way ahead of me and just running. And I was like, They're, I'm never, I'm never going to catch up, God. And then I woke up from the dream. And I knew what he was saying. Keep, keep, keep going the road less traveled. Keep, keep doing the secret path, the hidden path of the kingdom. Because one day, you're going to learn how to use those wings. And the finish line's just right there. That's the life of prayer. It's the divine shortcut. It's not a shortcut in the sense of what we think of no price. It has a high price. But it takes faith. You've got to believe he's really able to do what he says he can. So I want to actually invite the band up. And I just want to kind of create a space to experience this. What? Time is it? Yeah, we've got time. Good. Uh, I want to actually practice this together. Um, it will be a little different because we're all here, uh, but I still want to create a space uh, to do absolutely nothing. You know, this this promise. I'm going to read two promises that I want us to meditate on in this time, but. You know, who's ever asked themselves the question, uh, you know, is that promise true that if you pray anything in my name, it will be done? Who's, who's been upset before that one not working out? Someone, I, a pastor I know just told me the other day, he said, I don't know if I believe that. He's like, I prayed a lot of things that haven't happened. And I said, I think it's because we underemphasize the in my name part. Name would be like saying in my nature. When you pray anything when you are in union with me, it will be done because you're praying what I'm praying. So I want to just read this, uh, this, this word out of John 15. I want to read this verse. I want you to close your eyes right now, and I just want you to get comfortable. Um, I told the band they're going to they're gonna create some space of music, then they're going to sing a song. I don't want you to sing the song. I want you to just rest and focus yourself upon Jesus. Um, let the words wash over you. If there's a block, you have feel free to get your journal out and write. But I don't want you to, I don't want you to try to strive your way to God. I want you to let God pursue you. And so uh, just create space. If you want to, there's some space up here. If you want to lay on the floor, if you want to kneel at your seat, you can do whatever you want. Um, and I'm just going to read. This is uh, the, the word. I just want to kind of, 
introduce, sometimes I'll, you know, have a verse that we'll all kind of come into the presence of the Lord with. And so it says this in John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Read it one more time. Just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. So I just invite you to close your eyes. And let's spend a few moments alone with the alone. And honestly, I'm going to just turn it over to the the worship team. And they're going to go for about the next 10 or 15 minutes. You're free to leave whenever you want. Uh, we're just going to close service from there, and, and the prophetic booths will be out there afterwards. But don't go there yet. Be here with him. And I want to create a practical space so that when we leave, we can do this when we really are alone. So, so Lord, we fix our eyes on you right now. that you come and minister. We swing wide our, our, the doors of our heart and give you permission to love us right now really, really well. We ask that you speak to us. We ask that you pull us out of ourselves. And in this silence, God, teach us to turn it to solitude, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.